Today's episode is brought to you by AFCO Racing Products. For over three decades, AFCO Racing Products has focused on one goal, deliver high quality racing products to those who compete to win. In drag racing, you only get one chance to get it right. Choosing quality components from the start leads to round wins and ultimately leads to championships. At AFCO Racing Products, they engineer, manufacture, and produce four-way shocks, struts, and double adjustable shocks complemented by a complete lineup of springs to support the entire range of drag racing competitors. If you are bracket racing today and future plans include top dragster or top sportsman, they have the correct shock package for you at every stage of your racing career. For tech support, quality, and superior on-track performance, think AFCO Racing Products. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show, guys, girls. Today is episode number 76. Man, it is the last week of July 2021. Uh, let's see what happened this week. Uh, Mara, it's saying here that there was a acid squirting land lobster in Texas, completely humdrum for 2021. That barely makes news, and most likely, uh, pretty humdrum for everyone living in Texas as well. Let's see what else. The Olympics started this week in Tokyo. Great, no one cares. I mean, specifically, no one cares. Thank you to Obama and LeBron James. And I, I mean, I mean this in all seriousness. Those two dudes had the largest platform on the planet. They were, um, he, one had a microphone in his face anytime he turned around, and the other is a billionaire playing sports, both of whom came from complete poverty, but they want to act like the United States is the worst place ever. I hate that. Um, I say get to stepping, um, you know, but they got their point across. I can't root for the U.S. like I once did. I love American exceptionalism. When Ric Flair starts talking about being the best there ever was, I love it. When Mav is up there being the best of the best, I love it. But LeBron told everyone that playing the Olympics didn't mean anything. So why should I care that the men's Olympic basketball team just got beat by another country? Who cares? Um, yeah, I mean, Who cares that it was literally invented by the u.s nobody cares right okay but this is this is what evil men do in my opinion folks they tell you that the platform that they used to have huge success and an unbelievable life is a bad system and i hate that about them um you know we haven't talked about luke bogaki in a while but he's the exact opposite him and this is bracketracing.com they're, they're the, the exact opposite. I mean, he said, hey, here's how I made a great life for myself. You can too. Perfect. That is an example of a great man. He's giving back. Uh, compared to those others that I've mentioned today, it's not even close on who should be a great role model and be held up in the public, um, in the public eye, in my opinion. Um, so the Olympics, I, I just don't care about it. I mean, I got a lot of uh, notifications on the phone the other day. It said Simone Biles, the Olympic gymnast, quit. Perfect. I don't care. Uh, mostly I don't care because I like sports with a scoreboard, not just a couple of people deciding whose feelings were bubbled up more. Um, and the scoreboard, this whole thing about a scoreboard, that's why racing is the greatest and why typically – Drag racers are a pretty conservative and unemotional group just because we're analytical and the emotions don't come into play like they would if you were in another profession. Um, you know, you can rip on your fuel injection system all you want. You can tell it that it stinks. 
that it will never amount to anything, that it's ugly, that it, it uh, you know, nobody wants to play with it. Great. It still pushes fuel pressure at the exact same rate. Something blows up, I promise you, it wasn't because the fuel lines didn't feel encouraged enough. So overall, uh, most drag racers and mechanics in general will gravitate a certain way because it works or it doesn't. The scoreboard is the same way. You say I stink at basketball? Great. I was a Division One player. I was all conference. I dropped 40 on your head. Sit down. You say I'm a terrible racer? Great. Two wallies. Moving on to the next round. Take a seat. You say I'm awful at yard charts? Perfect. Take a seat. Grab a cold one for me. I'm about to win this championship and steal your girl. Scoreboard. That's what it's all about. So when Simone Biles is, you know, in the Olympics and she's all the talk of the town because she quit right before competition, I don't care. It's it's not a sport that I even care about. But for this, she put a goat on her uniform, a goat standing for the greatest of all time. Fine, fine. Puff your chest out. Talk some smack. Perfect. I don't care about that at all. In fact, I love it. But the goat doesn't feel overwhelmed when all the lights are on and it's time to perform. So I don't care about the Olympics. I don't care about that. Uh, don't care about a lot of that stuff. And I don't like that because apathy is not really my style. You know what my is my style? My style is pro mods. My style is letting it rip. My style is going after exactly what you want in life. And my guest today, Craig Sullivan, Sullivan, driver of the baddest pro mod on earth right now, El Mero Mero, joins us. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it up right now. Google up Craig Sullivan. Google up El Mero Mero. I think you are absolutely going to love this conversation. So get to it. Get to doing whatever it is that you do while you listen to the show. Make your commute. Clean the shop. Work on the old heap. But metaphorically speaking, Get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's get them hot. Let's make a pass. Let's put this thing in the water box. And uh, guys, girls, the NHRA just came out with the U.S. national schedule. Um, they, they released that there was a change to what we normally think of when it comes to the U S nationals. So like they did last year, the racing, the finals, I should say are on Sunday, not Monday, like history would dictate. So I don't know that this is tragic. I, I know that it upsets a lot of people. I don't know that it's tragic. But what I do not like about it, and I feel like this probably should be addressed in some way, it's not very transparent. Um, in the fact that, you know, we're just releasing a new schedule. It's different than it was before. And they're not really saying much about why that's happened. Now, I could say this. Maybe they know something we don't about what is coming back up with the Rona. We've heard of the Delta variants and all that stuff. I, it's hard for me to get too excited about something that, um, you know, is only impacting 80 plus year olds and, um, you know, is 0.3% of the population, but maybe they know we don't. Um, you know, side note here, I would say, even if it comes back, we know that we all have to get in shape. We have to cut sugar. Sugar lowers our immune system or at least our ability to fight. Um, you know, we know that we need more vitamin D we, or get in the sun. And we know that we need to take more vitamin C to boost our immune system. Um, either way, we've already talked about how the drag strip is the safest place on the planet for us. There is sunlight. There is a lot of space to, you know, have that social distancing. It's basically utopia. I mean, there's good people there. There's no race that, what all that stuff. It's basically utopia. So that said, if the thought is, hey, let's just do this thing the way we did it last year. Okay, 
but I think I'd like to know the answers as to how and why that decision was made. I don't think it's ultimately um, disastrous, but I will say this. Every time in my life that I've made a unilateral decision that impacted many people without acknowledging the decision-making process somewhat, I was attacked and attacked hard. Um, And I think potentially the association deserves somewhat of that here. Um, It it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of, um, at least public, that I've seen thus far, and I could have missed something, but that I've seen thus far any reasoning behind this. Or I'll give them this, and I'm, I'm willing to be very open on this one. It, and this could absolutely be the situation here in, in that, you know, they may be thinking it doesn't matter. Um, no matter what we say, no matter how we reason this thing, people will bitch and complain either way about why you made that decision. And it simply doesn't make sense to have one singular person out there being attacked and or victimized for the message. If this is a case, if this is the case, and that's what they think, then I'll agree. This is a smart move on the part of the NHRA to remove the messenger that is about to be shot. Um, And I'm open to either one of the above being true, meaning A, it wasn't very good, uh, we need more transparency, or B, we can be transparent, but it doesn't matter, Rex. Um, So I I don't know which is true. Maybe they're both true. Um, but if you're listening NHRA and you want to enlighten us, listen, I tell everyone that listens how to get a hold of me at the end of each show. I am not hard to find. I would love kind of the explanation of this because I don't necessarily love the change from history, right? I mean, the U.S. national seemingly should be run, at least the final event should, should be run on Monday, the, the parade, the campground over there, all that action should go on till Monday. At least that's that's what I was born and raised to believe. So um, racing on Sunday, great, perfect, love it. Um, but I think I'd like to know the decision-making process behind that. And to this point, I haven't seen it. Um, all that said, the schedule is a schedule at this point. And it is still the greatest drag race on the planet And I am excited to watch you top dragster and top sportsman guys and girls get down in just over a month. I mean, it is still awesome. It's still a grueling schedule of almost a week. Maybe some of you will go, hey, Rex, I love it because I race on Sunday and have Monday to travel. Okay, Uh, I I can get on board with that. Again, I would just love some more of the transparency from that standpoint. So we'll see. Maybe some more of that will come out. Uh, That was the initial, but uh, we'll see about that. Um, And I would love to hear your thoughts on whether you think the finals of the U.S. Nationals, the big go, should be run on Monday or not. I will also say this. When it comes to the schedule of the U.S. Nationals, you know two years ago we had a live event planned for all of Fast Bracket Nation. Come hang out. It was going to be a live show. It was set up to be a bunch of fun, but the schedule got changed last minute from the NHRA side so that the live show was actually being held during the qualifying sessions for top sportsmen and top dragster groups. So obviously you can't be in the lanes and at a live show podcast at the same time. So that made it incredibly difficult for anyone to attend. Uh, we adjusted the best we could, and I, I really appreciate greatly those that managed to change their schedules or just adjust just enough quickly to make that happen. Bob Henry in particular, man, that guy made his pass, hustled over. It was great, um, uh, really fantastic that way. So what I, I tell you that to tell you this, I am working on another live show for the U.S. Nationals. Unfortunately, the location that we had used last time is now closed. Uh, the Rona went at a few industries pretty hard, and bowling alleys were one of those, right? Uh, everything with a hard surface indoor, that was rough. Um, I am working on another venue that I think could be really convenient for the racers, could be a lot of fun and not impede too much with the skin schedule that is now Indy. Um, so stay tuned and um, you know let me know what you think would be the best time, in your opinion, for the show that week. 
Uh, I'm open. Uh, we're still working on that stuff. So if you have uh, any opinion on that, like what day, uh, evening, morning, etc., that would make the most sense, I'd love to hear it. I think it would be great for all of us, uh, the whole Fast Bracket Nation, to get together, hang out a little bit, and uh, talk shop about uh, the, what is the big go. So stay tuned um, because I really like the idea of celebrating with y'all um, when you guys are here at the big go. All right, let's put this thing in the beams. And before I get to today's guest, do me a favor, stop, go back and listen to episode number four. He was on with us then. That was well before we had to deal with things like the Rona. That was well before we had all three-second elite top sportsman fields. And before we started playing Gloria at the end of every show, you can get up, uh, just kind of get caught up on where we last left off with him. But on with us now is a dude who has finished in the top five in Division Three, top dragster in Division Three, super quick, too many times to count. He's the three-time John Kazi top dragster shootout champ. He is the NHRA F. GTF automatic mile per hour and ET record holder. And most recently, he is your NMCA NMCA Power Festival Pro Mod champion. On with us now, Craig Sullivan from Avon, Indiana. How are you, my man, Craig? Super. It's a good day. Every day's been a good day for a long time now. I get that. And, um, what I want to tell you is I want to introduce you as the driver of El Mero Mero. And I say that jokingly because I know you own it. But uh, El Mero Mero has it uh, a life of its own online, doesn't it? He does. He does. Uh, we've uh, That just kind of popped up. And it was uh, an idea of a couple racing buddies of mine. And uh, <clears throat> a friend of mine runs that page. And uh, sometimes he can be quite controversial. And- <laughs> Sometimes you can see him at some big radio races in a gold jacket, and sometimes you see him in a unicorn head. But uh, he has very uh, he he has quite the uh, amount of uh, different people he plays in real life. Right, right. But but uh, the car is very unique, and um, and and really, um, I mean, I think I say this without any exaggeration. Um, the talk of of drag racing this week. I mean, you're coming off a huge win, debuting it with a win. It's it's pretty impressive. Um, that that said, let's go way back. Let's talk about the origination of El Mero Mero. And you know, because you were driving an iconic Pro Mod before you made the switch. What what prompted that from your side? As far as the barn burner, or yeah, how El, El Mero yeah. Not the barn burner. I mean, that was. Uh... Chip King thought that his wife really wanted to go top dragster racing. So we done a trade with uh, the the car that we called Sexy, the all-carbon fiber uh, 2011 American car, which was America's American race car's first hardtail top dragster purpose-built car. Mm-hmm. Um, very well with it. And uh, I wanted to go pro mod racing. So me and Chip done a trade and, uh, all the way home from lovely North Carolina, I'm going, this car's ugly. It's unique, but it's ugly. Right. So at that point, we started Googling, you know, different NASCAR paint schemes that were there around the years and some custom stuff we'd seen. And when it all come down to it, everything was ugly on it. And uh, I come up with the decision that it's just going to be a Richard Petty car that you know, something went wrong and they put it out behind the barn. They didn't want to crush it. They didn't want to sell it, but uh, kept it around. And we brought it out and turned it into a drag car. And and that thing was awesome, right? I mean, it, it uh, very popular on Door Slammers, the video game. Um, you got a lot of attention with that, um, and rightfully so, and had some very good success. But at some point you said, um, it's time to go in another direction. What What was the impetus for that? 
Well, I, you know, I look at pro mod racing like riding motorcycles on the street. There's two kinds of riders, those that have gone down and those that are going down. Yes, sir. And at pro mod racing, unfortunately, there's a lot of wrecks. And I've been extremely fortunate that, you know, we haven't had a wreck. Um, but that's one of the reasons that I wanted to use cars so we could get all the dumb stuff out of the way. And uh, as it's played out, it, it didn't actually work that way. But, uh, you know, the barn burner was very good to us. It was a challenge to get to go as fast as it did. Um, that car has gone three tenths faster than it was ever built to go. Um, and uh, we were extremely happy with it. Uh, we sold it as a good running car to a gentleman out in Montana. And, uh, you know, he got the video game rights and uh, the shirts and the whole nine yards. And uh, I don't know that they've got that together, but, uh, you know, El Merrill Merrill was, was the direction that we were going probably three to four years after we, we got our feet wet in Pro Mod. I knew I wanted to do a, a 49 Mercury. So. Yeah, that uh, so that right off the bat, right, is a forty nine Merc for those that you know don't know. Um, and what was you know what drew you to the forty nine Merc? I mean, what you've got obviously got some history with that somehow. Yeah, well, my dad's had several of them as hot rods. Uh, my godfather Tom Colbertson has had several. Um, Red Bledsoe from Avon that run around with my father and Colbertson that had one, you know, they were just kind of a staple in the hot rod community. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, a new acquaintance of mine was Darren Mayer at DMPE. And I said something to him about, Hey, I said, did you ever see that Johnny rocket guy that had a pro mod that was a Mercury? And he goes, yeah. And I walked into his office and Darren used to be his crew chief. Okay. And he goes, 49 pro mod and he says i'll be licking the windows till you tell me i get to be the crew chief on it <laughs> so the challenge was made <laughs> right right yeah that's uh that's good help to have and you go okay all right let's let's get going um now to be fair so you decide on the the 49 merc that's a body that isn't out there you don't just get to to buy that from you know, whoever, and just go, yeah, make this go. And they, and the templates already there. Um, I done a lot of searching and I found over in New York, there was a gentleman that built, I think in his inventory, he's got eight or nine kit cars that he manufactures, AC Cobras, Model A's, Corvettes, a lot of different stuff. And he done a 4954. And, uh, with him being in New York, I, I called a buddy of mine, Billy Lieber and said, Hey, I said, can you go check this guy out and see if he's a real business and the kind of quality stuff that he does. And Billy called me back a couple of days later, him and his dad had went over and checked it out. I called the guy and we talked to try to figure out if we could do business. And, uh, he agreed to finally sell me a body with, uh, no interstructure in it. And, okay. uh, so he got it all done. I went and picked it up and, uh, brought it back. Uh, I rechopped the roof, uh, relayed the back window, um, as the Ford and the Mercury back window, the Mercury is sloped for more aero. And, uh, you know, it, I got all that done and I'd been talking to Larry Jeffers and I drove Larry Jeffers school bus and we'd become friends and we agreed that Larry was going to build the new car. And we had probably a year and three or four months in making the body what it is today. And, Larry owns the molds, and uh, he'll have that those available at some point in time to uh, build brand new 1949 Mercury's. It's pretty solid. I got to tell you, um, uh, our listeners out there, I've been lucky enough to see this thing in person, and it's and it's bad. I mean, it's seriously bad. And uh, you know, I I love the fact that it's um, it's a new style. You know, it's it's not. Um, and I'm I'm a Camaro driver, like Craig. You know that, so I I don't hate on the Camaros at all. But there's plenty of them out there at this point. And so to have, uh, you know, a new style, I hope that Larry sells uh, some more of those. Well, I hope he sells. A few. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't want. But uh, now nah, we're we're very fortunate to be what we've got, and uh, you know we had a a very unique final in Michigan running, uh, Randy Adler and the, the A-team. Uh, so it was a 
57 Chevrolet and a 49 Mercury in the final. So it made a lot of good pictures. No, it was great. I mean, it, it was. It was two very old school, cool cars in that final. Um, and, and, I mean, you may think differently about this, but your paint scheme is so different than anybody else's. I mean, even if there were more 49 Mercs running out around out there, I, nobody is going to confuse it with your paint scheme in El Mero Mero. You want to talk about that and how that came about? Because I struggle with a one or two color paint scheme. And what are there, 17 colors in that thing? I think so. <laughs> I, I got to take off to count that high. So it, right. it gets confusing. Uh, <clears throat> um, you know, when you, when you do that and you start looking at some of the classic paint work and some of the famous 49 Mercury's that were, that have been out there over the years, um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate that my company has been involved with trade shows for 28 years and, uh, SEMA being one of them. And there seems to be a lot of Cholo stuff and low rider product that comes out there. And, you know, as a, as a body shop, we sell body shop equipment. So we're around the painting industry a lot. <clears throat> and it was real easy to walk past those cars because it wasn't my thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but when you sit there for a minute and think about the processes and the creativity and, and the planning that goes into that, and some of the stuff nowadays is three-dimensional. And, uh, you know, th there's a lot there. And, yeah. uh, you know, to outdo the barn burner, it couldn't have been a black car with a, a classic flame job on it and outdo the barn burner, in my opinion. Right. So I wanted something that really popped and, you know, when I when uh, I told Larry Jeffers about it, he kind of goes okay, but he was excited about the car, and right. uh, you know I went back to Chris Davis at Kryptonite Customs, and I kind of told him he's going really, Craig, and I'm going yeah, this is what I want to do. So he had over a year of inspirational photos sent to him, and it we even went as far as you know there's a there's a couple of uh, Facebook pages where painters and production shops will take pictures of colors as they mix it in the can to go paint uh, a blue 2015 Camaro or a, even a white 2020 Mercedes as they put the tints in them, the colors that it creates before it's fully mixed. Okay. And uh, the, uh, so I give a lot of that to him. And, you know, I told him I, he'd had the car, probably two weeks and he didn't know what color I wanted the car. He was just working on measurements, dimensions and what to do. And I, I called him one day and I said, Hey, I said, I want a gold car and I want uh, the top surfaces to be uh, um, laced. And he's like, I don't know what lace is. And I said, well, I said the way we'd done it in the sixties and the seventies was you went out and you painted the car white you went to grandma's and stole her tablecloth because it was a lace tablecloth and four guys held it down on the roof and you sprayed silver over it and you threw the tablecloth away and you started laying your candies on it. Right. Really? So that kind of got him started into that direction. And, uh, you know, we'd done the, the uh, slushy bar probably a year ago. And that was just kind of a test bed for what El Merrill Merrill was coming from. Sure. And, uh, so, you know, we, we allowed a test, so we didn't waste a lot of time on the car. Um, Chris went through a, a couple of different PC builds because the graphics are so intense and it takes so much RAM to be able to, to do the graphics that are there. And, uh, you know, it, it became what it was. And I never really seen it till I went to pick it up. So it was a total surprise to me because I'd done the same thing with Chris on the barn barn. I said, here's kind of what I want. Here's a couple of pictures of some things. And, uh, you know, he, they knocked it out of the park. Him and, uh, Jake Lago just hit a grand slam. Yeah. I would say it's safe to say at this point, there's nothing they can't do. If they've done the barn burner and now a Melamero, there's nothing they can't do. I mean, those, those are two, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, those are both 15s, right? Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, they're, they're uh, unbelievable uh, challenges. They pulled them off uh, fantastically, and, they, and, it, and it looks great. Um, you know, and I hope, and I, I don't know, like is this uh, – what I, the one thing I guess I would question, and it's one thing I do like about Top Sportsman, and you've challenged yourself to go to Pro Mod with this, 
but let's talk about the arrow package on a 49 Merc. Like I would think that, you know, that maybe could be an issue. Um, it's specifically why we see so many Camaros and Mustangs run in pro mod, especially in the NHRA side, right? Um, because every little bit helps and every bit it counts. So, um, you know, you had to probably get over that hump um, mentally as well, right? I mean, what, what pushed you over the edge with the aero package? Well, the a lot of that was just a little bit of consulting. Um, you know, Johnny Rock, is, Johnny built that car. Johnny owned the molds for it. It was a fiberglass car, you know, back in the 80s. <clears throat> and they had pinched the front on it and hid the grill in it, and it just didn't look right. Um, and there's a way that a lot of custom 4950 and 51s where they narrow the front up and take three or four inches out of each side of the headlight and slide them all in. And Larry's got a, a, a friend of his that works at Lockheed Martin, and uh, we kind of sh- pitched him with everything that was there. And, you know, one of the things they come up with is when we put the DeSoto teeth in it, that moves the bubble out on the car. So we've actually been able to, with that grill that we've got in it, because those teeth are all individual and they're all chrome and they're all carbon fiber. Um, they are able to take and, and push that air bubble out farther to make the car more aerodynamic on the front. Yeah, we need to take four or five inches out of it but it doesn't look like a, a Mercury at that point. Right. Luckily, we're only, we're only running eight mile. So the arrow plays a small portion on it, uh, where quarter mile would pay a, a very large portion. But once you get to the windshield of the car, the car has got a lot, of mo- a lot more aerodynamics than a lot of the new cars because there's no straight lines and there's no flat panels. Everything is rounded. You know, with the way that I laid the back window into it, it's pretty congruent coming off uh, off of the roof and onto the uh, spoiler. And the spoiler is only an inch taller than a 2021 Mustang. Okay. So we've back of the car on the ground. Uh, where if you look at the Challengers and the Cudas and, uh, you know, Chip King's 71 Mustang, that that wing is up in the air. And it's all catching air where we've got everything in the back tucked tight. That's really interesting, right? And it, it just goes to show the evolution of, you know, a, a lot of things, but stuff, certainly our sport. I mean, the, the old pro mods used to have those huge monster tall wings. And what we know now is that we want them kind of out of the way. Right. And so if we can get them down back there, it help, actually helps the cause. So you're saying you're from a, from a wind tunnel standpoint, it, it's not nearly, um, it, as affected as what you might think at first glance. No, especially in an eight mile situation, quarter mile, it'd be a lot different. Yeah. And ability air has to be stable for two and a half seconds over something for arrow to take over. <clears throat> well, there's a lot of stability in that last 660 feet. Right. There's not a lot of stability in the first 660. Gotcha. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, and as much eighth mile as, Everybody's running nowadays. I'm I'm guessing you're only going to run eighth mile. Is that right? What's your What's your plan for this thing? What's the schedule? Uh, we will be. We're off this week. Uh, we've been invited to the night of fire at Norwalk, which is uh, Bill Bader's um, biggest, baddest event. So I'm honored for that. We've got to run that a couple of times with the top dragster, uh, and it's one of the events. It's it's right there with ducks race. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are, uh, then we get done with it and we've been invited to, uh, uh Mel Ross race in St. Louis, uh, which if, uh, they've got a program there that if we, uh, went around or two there, we will be invited to the NHRA national event at St. Louis for an exhibition race. Okay. So race is coming up, but, uh, we're, we're pretty stoked on it and our, our team's, still running hard and, and uh, really they're really happy with everything that's done. And I mean, that's from Mark Mincer, Mark Mickey, Joe Oplowski, uh, Andy Smith that couldn't be with us last week, Tom Radloff, uh, Darren Mayer, uh, all of our engine support guys, uh, Chris Lindsay that done the wheels, the guys at Fire Corps, um, the guys at Fuel Tech, uh, you know, the, to come out of the box, 
and be where we're at was pretty good. And, you know, you go back to the, the initial buying a used car and you wreck it and you get a new car and you do good. You know, on the second pass in this car, we about burnt the car to the ground. I wasn't going to bring that up, Craig, but uh, now that you did, um, I think people think that it's easy, right? It would, or it, it looks easy from the outside, right? You you build this brand new car, you roll it out, you win the very first race you enter. That wasn't the case at all. Um, you want to fill the, fill everybody in on what happened precisely from that second pass? Yeah, no, I, I basically checked out of my business because it was one of those. Uh, <clears throat> Michael Bunton is uh, probably one of the the best wiring guys in the country, and he's got a high demand. So I had to take the car to Savannah to get wired. So I took the car to Savannah. He wired it. I left straight from Savannah. And while I was at Savannah, my pickup truck, a very large limb fell on it, caved the roof in, and knocked the windshield out of it. So we came up. <laughs> right. And I left, I left there to go to Mensers and on my way to uh, Carolina Dragway, where I was going to park the trailer and car inside the building. So I knew it was protected overnight so I could get to Mensers the next day. A lady runs into the side of the truck and trailer just the end before <laughs> the race. What? Yeah. So. I finally get to Carolina Dragway and me and Jimmy Owens and Jerry and we all go to dinner and we had a good dinner. And next morning I get up and grab my stuff and I head to Mensers and <clears throat> Mark set the car up, put his four link in it. It's his shocks, his struts. And, uh, after a couple of days, we were going to leave from there and go straight to Gallup to test. So I've got Andy Smith flying in and I've got Joe Plowski flying in and it's me and Tommy. Uh, Tommy met us down there with the rig. We get there the first day and, you know, we're taking our time with everything and we go out and make that first hit. We put a 67 tune up from the barn burner in it. The car carried the front end out about 250 feet and started going to the center. I shut it all off and coasted down. Mark put a little bit of rear steer in it. We put another degree of timing in it. The car left, hiked the front end up and it was going out there and it nosed over. So I just throw it in neutral and I'm kind of looking at everything. Everything seems all right, but I smell carbon burning. Oh no. And I, <clears throat> it's got new carbon brakes on it. I've never owned new carbon brakes. Okay. And, uh, you know, then I see smoke coming out of the blower and I'm like, this thing's on fire. Oh no. Fire bottles. And it goes away. And I'm, I think we hit the, the traps at like 165 mile an hour coasting. So I wasn't worried because the car was on fire. I thought it was, you know, easily to put out. I get to the end of the track to turn off and there's flames coming out now. So I pull the other fire bottle. It goes down, get turned and get stopped. The flames come back again. So I'm diving out of the car and the guys at Gallup were great. They were on the spot. They get the fire put out, you know, it burnt the front end off of it. It burnt the windshield out of it. It burnt the bag off the blower. Um, we don't injector hat. If it had been a carbon injector hat, we've got one of Darren Mayer's new billet injector hats on it. So it was fine through it. It burnt the strut. Um, and it was a, a pretty dismal day. <laughs> I can imagine. You just spent the last, what, year and a half putting this thing together, designing it, doing all the things you have to do, and then uh, just like that, it, it is no more. That uh, oof, That's a rough day, Craig. Yes, yes it is. Um, yeah, we were supposed to leave from there to go to Texas for an ADRL race. Um, yeah, that race canceled. We went home. Um, talked to Larry immediately before we even left the track. Um, Larry started on another new front end. <clears throat> we get back, we get the car tore down, get the motor out of it. Um, we send the car the following Monday to Larry's. They hang the new front end on it. Uh, 
that following Monday, the guys from Kryptonite fly into Indy to rewrap, you know, the car. Uh, it was four days just to rewrap the car. Um, and, uh, we get the strut back, we get the engine stuck back in it, we're ready to go, and we leave that following Monday for Martin so we could test Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and then run the race. Right. And, uh, you know, and it, the rest is history. Well, it just goes to show, man, A, this ain't easy, um, and B, you got to have a mentality, right? Like you, you could have wallowed, you could have, uh, you know, uh, you know, felt sorry for yourself. And what you did was you said, all right, that's part of it. Let's go. Let's get this crew back together. And your team, I mean, top to bottom, uh, it was great, right? I mean, the whole team was like on board, let's go, let's get this thing and let's get it rolling. And it's just not my team. It's it's the vendors that participated because this was the first project, whether it was building body shops or building a race car, that every vendor complimented the next vendor. When somebody touched the car and it went somewhere else, they're going, "This is badass." Every detail is there, and every you know everybody done the best job that they could do. Right. So it's nice when you get in that situation and it's not well the damn wiring guy done this or the painter done <laughs> right <clears throat> which is what we hear a lot right we always hear that oh, the, yeah. the other guy screwed it up and that's why i can't do my job and that that's right. not what you got um you know and the good thing about michael button is he uses all these cool butt connectors so when it burnt the front off you just cut it through the butt connector and send it back to him and then you just crimp them back together but uh you know Michael doesn't use butt connectors. He puts a gorgeous harness in that plugs and unplugs, but we got to tease him about using butt connectors all the time. (laughs) Well, there you go. Well, um, you know, and then you get up to Michigan, right. And you do the test and like, I'm, I'm watching it all weekend. I mean, uh, I count you as one of my close friends, so I'm, I'm keeping tabs on you watching the whole weekend and you're just right laying down lap after lap and it's consistent and you're, you know, you're making the changes you need to make. Um, I will tell you, I think it was the semifinal. Um, you made me a little nervous. You almost mucked up that rap pretty good in the semifinal. Isn't that what it was? Is that what the round that, uh, you had to kind of, uh, got a little in the marbles and, but kept it going. Well, it was, but there was, there was some mucked up stuff in front of it that kind of led to it. You know, in testing, we were bad fast. Yep. We go, we run first round qualifying and the car, when it leaves for first round qualifying, if you look at the video from behind it, the puke tank dumps about two gallons of oil on a starting line back across the wing. And we went eight with this thing puking oil and I didn't know. So we slowed the, you know, we slowed the race down with that. Well, we ended up having to put another motor in between first and second round qualifying. Okay. Wow. You know, we go make second round and it's, it's slow. So we make a converter change because the, the air went the other way. And, uh, we kept slowly creeping up as we were still too tight on the engine. And, uh, Luckily, uh, you know, we were able to get through that and progressively get faster. But no, when we got to the semifinals, you know, it's keeping everybody plugged in where they're supposed to be. Well, with Andy Smith not there, he takes care of the four link under the guidance of Mark uh, Mincer. Mm-hmm. Well, when you give Joe Oplowski a wrench <laughs> and he's the computer guy, he got a little confused which way the bar turned. So, <laughs> well, and Joe's great, right? Great on the the keyboard and making that all the stuff he does. But are we saying we're we don't let him do the four link anymore? We are going to try to keep wrenches out of Joe's hands. But <laughs> Got it. Yeah, Joe's been with us for almost twenty years. We were one of the first EFI and top dragster. We had EFI on our super stocker, and we've done business forever. And he's like a brother to me. And it's not that he's the only guy that makes mistakes. We right. all make mistakes at time. And, uh, luckily, we were able to win and laugh about it. Yeah, but, no doubt. So. And for our listeners, Joe's been on the show. I don't know. I don't remember exactly what number it was, but but go back and find that out because he's awesome. I mean, very intelligent. Um, can really help you with your issues if you're having any. And 
uh, you know, we'll do that's all right. We've got uh, we've got four link specialists for a reason, right, Gregor? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's our team, and uh, you know they do their job well. They may not be the guy that everybody worships for or wants, but we've got a great team that functions well, and we got a, a vendor list that just they're there every time we need them. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, Craig, I appreciate you coming on, man. That was a, a lot of fun talking about El Mero Mero, one of the very few cars that has its own Facebook page out there. And um, we should say this. Um, what what does El Mero Mero mean? Because I don't speak Spanish. So uh, tell me a little bit about that. Well, so unfortunately, you know, there's usually a beer or two involved with racing. And one night I missed it drinking session at Woody Mart in lovely Missouri because <laughs> I was in Indiana and I get a phone call the next morning going, Hey, you got to name the car this. And I'm going, well, I kind of think I'm going to name it this. He goes, no, you're going to name it El Mero Mero. And I'm going, okay, what's it? He says, big boss, head honcho for the one and only. And I go, okay, that's what we'll do. And, uh, you know, Mark Woodruff and I have been, you know, we used to be competitors that sold against each other and uh, we're the best of friends. You now, he actually let me drive his brand new 69 Camaro at one of Ducks races. He had never drove the car. I seen it done before he was because I was down at B&B help finishing the car to go to Ducks race. And uh, we've we've got a great friendship and uh, I'm glad that he lets me be a part of his family. And uh, it's there's a lot of respect mutually. Well, given the paint scheme, I assume there's a lot of tequila involved with naming that. Um, not necessarily just beer, but, uh, you know, um, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, the big boss, El Mero Mero, I absolutely love it. Yeah. Well, you know, we've had tequila on board on a couple of races, and uh, they're still involved. Um <clears throat> something we tried up at uh, Michigan is I'm um, now partners in a CBD farm. Um, the, uh, with it, um, uh, it's called evolve or we take it from seed to our products to market. So we've got a hundred percent control of what we manufacture. It's not sent off to go do this and we use these people's oil. I mean, we actually ship our oil to our gummy manufacturer and to our pain cream manufacturer. Mm-hmm. So they make the product with our pure goods. <clears throat> uh, that was recepted very well there. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a few other smaller sponsors come through in the next year or so. It, uh, hopefully are going to change our racing program for the better. Um, We've uh, got a full-time marketing person that's been working heavily on it. So um, it's it's a good time to be in business, and it's a good time to be racing. I like it. I like the CDB stuff. I like uh, El Mero Mero. I like a good cold beer, maybe a tequila. Not really my thing, but I, I could get on board if I'm uh, around that slushy machine. So, um, yeah, Craig, thanks for, thanks for coming on and uh, – talking all about that new rig because it is awesome Thank you, sir i appreciate your time and i appreciate what you do for the racing community it's it's been great what you do with the podcast we're trying baby we are trying um that guys girls that is the great craig sullivan driver and i assume owner of el Mero Mero. if you need him Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. For all your high horsepower legal needs, hit up Ed Harney at DragRaceLawyer.com. All right, let's get to it. We had some racing action that we need to talk about. First of all, the NHRA Division I event at Numidia. Um, they went eighth mile in that action. They had 14 cars in top sportsmen. Your number one qualifier was Ronnie Proctor. In his Ford Cobra, you know him. He came on the show. He runs a 430 with a 6 at 166 miles an hour for that top spot. But he meets Robert Fortuna in the final. Robert was the number 14 qualifier. So we have the number one qualifier versus the final qualifier in the final. 
Ronnie Proctor with a better light, but Fortuna closer to his 506 dial for the Winlight and the Wally. That's his first. Now, to be fair, I think there could be some discussion about that. It's interesting to me that they went eighth mile and, um, you know, we only had 14 cars. I would have thought that would have brought a few more cars that way. And I think, to be fair, um, that discussion on whether a, uh, you know, whether that should be even as technically allowed as top sportsmen. We talk about 470 kind of being the, the entry point to top sportsmen. Nothing against, nothing against at all um, against Robert Fortuna. I would, you know, um, dial that number if I could, and it was legally allowed as well. Uh, but that probably warrants a little bigger discussion, in my opinion, and is, is maybe um, is, trend, is a trend. So we'll have to keep an eye on that a little bit to see if that is something that needs to be addressed. On the top dragster side, it was a little different. They had 27 cars. They had Alan Kenny. He goes number one with a 4037. Hits 177 miles an hour. And your winner... Stop me if you've heard this. Peter Biondo is uh, your winner over Richard Jameson in the final. Jameson knows that he has to be tremendous on the tree because Peter Biondo is likely to do exactly what he did, which is be 007. And, you know, staging up against one of the best ever to do it will make you really aggressive. And so what happened there was Jameson goes red and uh, Peter Biondo wins top dragster. He gets the win light in his 60th Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Wally. Uh, amazing. So uh, congrats to Peter Biondo and also Robert Fortuna for winning top dragster and top sportsman in Numidia. Now, if you go west, we um, there was a double event in Topeka this week. It was hot, but there were a lot of cars, so it was great. So in top sportsman, there were 36 cars. Number one qualifier, Bob Galitti, in his 67 Shelby. He goes 640 with a 2 at 218 miles an hour. Um, the 32nd qualifier would have been the bump spot, would have been Doug Woody in his 67 Camaro. I'm uh, partial to that. I've seen that car run plenty of times. He runs a 737.9 in the quarter mile at 187 miles an hour. So guess what? Just like what happened uh, in Numidia, um, your 32 second qualifier and your number one qualifier make it to the finals and it's Doug Woody over Bob Galitti in the final on the on the first leg of the doubleheader in Topeka in Top Sportsman. On Top Dragster, look out, there were 48 cars that showed up. Really fantastic. Your number one qualifier was Bob Henry. He goes 612 with a 7 at 230 miles an hour. Um, the bump would have been fantastic. It was an all-run field, but it would have been a 653 had it been a 32-car field, which is really stout. I, you can just feel people gearing up for the U.S. Nationals right now. You can feel it. People are digging in, getting their combos right, and loading up. Uh, the winner, Danny Nelson over number one qualifier, Bob Henry in the final both of those dudes dialed 619 in the final. The coolest thing ever. Heads up for all the cash and prizes. They are even on the starting line. And Bob Henry breaks out in the final. Uh, Danny Nelson captures the wind light and the Wally. Man, that's just two really good drag racers getting down in the final. But Danny Nelson, um, you know, two good eyes. And uh, close to home, man, that's going to be tough to beat. So uh, uh, congrats to Danny and Doug Woody for winning top dragster and top sportsman in the first leg. Then the second leg, you know, um, Alan Firestone goes number one in top sportsman. He goes 641.9 at 214 miles an hour. I mean, you know, he's qualifying faster than pro stock cars. It's unbelievable. Um, you've heard Alan on the show before. Um, the 32nd spot would have been a 753, um, and your winner is Kurt Harshfield over Mike Seacrest. Kurt Harshfield and Mike Seacrest line it up. Both drivers excellent on the tree. Harshfield 005, Seacrest is a uh, 011. Harshfield just a little bit closer to his 70 dial and gets his third top sportsman Wally Parks Award trophy. 
nicely done to Kirk, Harshfield, and Top Sportsman. And then on Top Dragster side, the back half of the double, your number one qualifier, Zach Sackman. He goes 614, one at 225. And in the final, Danny Nelson gets there again and he meets J.R. Baxter. Um, J.R. gets the win. Danny Nelson had an issue um, with his battery, um, or he might have racked up all the wind lights that he could in that double at Topeka. He's close to home. Like you said, now these guys I fixed, man, he is a tough out. He picked up a bunch of points this weekend. Um, and J.R. Baxter, the former uh, first ever U.S. Nationals top dragster champ, uh, no easy out. And he gets the win in the Wally. That's his sixth Lucas Oil Drag uh, Series Wally. But uh, Danny, man, Danny had a, uh, you know, former world champion, close to home, two good eyes. Had he not had that minor uh, electrical failure, man, he might have collected every single wind light in Topeka this weekend. Then we go a little bit west. We go out to the NHRA event National in Sonoma. There are 25 cars that hauled in there in top sportsman. Your number one qualifier, Jeff Conley, goes a 614 at 236. Man, that is absolutely flying. Um, your winner is Dan Berg over Ed the Undertaker Open. Dan is 006 on the tree and crosses ahead 005. Five thou at the finish line, 196 miles an hour later. Mathematically, Dan Berg was not to be denied. So congrats to Dan Berg on winning his first national event top sportsman victory. Um, Ed, super tough there, and Dan Berg gets it done. On the top dragster side, there were 31 cars. Your number one qualifier, Steve Will, 612 with a one at 230 miles an hour. There were a couple that got too quick for the number one spot. That speed limit was a factor out there where the track altitude has to be around sea level or you need a boat, not a race car. So that certainly helps, but um, man, uh, still a lot of great racers and fast racers out there. Your winner was John Richardson over Paul Nero. Richardson was 003. Just, I mean, just absolute nails on the on the starting line in the finals. Nero had a good light. He was 15 and trying to tighten it up just a little bit, but breaks out. Um, so you had two two guys that are standard operating, um, you know, top competitors out there. Open and Nero in the finals, but uh, new winners, you know, or or guys that um, you know getting it done. Danberg in top sportsman and Steve Will. Number one qualifier and top dragster, and John Richardson getting the win light in his second national event win in Sonoma. Next week, guys, girls, we will cover the national event in Pomona. Uh, we will cover the PDRA Pro Stars event at VMP, which is uh, the PDRA's version of the JEGS All Stars, which is very, very cool. Um, and then we probably should reset the points chases as well. Um, so we'll do all of that next week. All right, as we hit the mile per hour cone, we got to talk about this. I don't want to talk about it, but we have to talk about this. Our boy, Elon Musk, is at it again. Um, the Tesla Model S Plaid just ran a 908 in the quarter mile, which makes it the quickest production car on the planet. All electric, of course. You can pick one up uh, for about 130k. Easy, uh, easy money there. But let's dig into this a little bit here. Uh, first of all, it's electric. We get that. We've dealt with that ad nauseum i think i don't love them i don't uh i think that i'm pretty much on the record of saying that secondly the name is plaid not a camaro not a mustang not a hellcat not something awesome but plaid you've absolutely got to be kidding me i mean imagine laying down 130 stacks for a sports car 
that has the same name as something that your aunt puts over the guest furniture so it says nice. Um, I won't wear anything plaid, and I swear to you, I will never buy a sports car that's name is plaid. That's so gross, but people keep buying it, so good for Elon. Anyway, it is fast considering it has cruise control and AC and power and heated seats. Um, you, know, you know what? I wonder if that's how you race it. If you just set the cruise control at 170 and let it get there as fast as possible. I mean, that could be. I, I don't know. Um, who knows? I'm really not into RC cars, so I just I couldn't tell you. But I do have these two questions. First of all, and somebody needs to help me with this because I think it is a problem potentially. First of all, when it wrecks, how does the cleanup work? As it's going to, if they're going to be out there, and I'm, I'm sure these things have been wrecked. If you've been in the auto body business, you probably have seen these things wrecked. I know I don't want to smash up the batteries I have around my house. That is problematic. I don't know how these batteries work. Um, so, you know, what is, how does that work? I mean, if we spill battery acid on the track, when, do we get to race again that day or not? I am not sure. Probably need to get Kurt Johnson on here or some other uh, track prep specialist to understand that because I don't. Um, but uh, the other thing I don't understand is why it doesn't need a roll cage. Like every other car on the property, to go a certain speed, you have to have a roll cage. That thing goes 9.08 in the quarter. It needs a roll cage, right? It's um, it, it absolutely does. I mean, Dodge got into a bunch of trouble a couple of years ago for running that Hellcat too fast. Uh, or quote unquote, I should say too fast at the track without a roll cage. They said it's a production vehicle to go that fast. You need to go, you know, adhere to the safety standards. Makes sense. Okay, I get that. That said, for some reason, Elon and the EVs get a free pass. So I don't get it. Um, I don't understand why that gets a pass and the Hellcat doesn't other than jealousy, I guess, for having a cool name. I don't know. Maybe they just think when they're looking at it, anything named the plaid isn't going to be able to go that fast. I don't know. Like it, it, The thing that really bothers me is you talk to some of these new age folks and they will talk a lot about the fair playground you know, and being kind and nice and, and even to everyone and then immediately do what every dictator in the history of the world has ever done, which is ignore the rules they don't like. So I don't know. I, I don't like that. Um, I'm not sure um, what the future is going to be when it comes to electric uh, race cars. They certainly have shown some unbelievable uh, potential, but I don't know those answers. I don't know if uh, any self-respecting person would get in a plaid. I don't know, um, you know what happens when it gets into an accident and what the environmental damage could be from that standpoint. And I don't know why it doesn't need a roll cage. So um, hopefully someone can help me out and figure all this stuff out soon before I lose my mind. All right, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane. Let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 76. There it is. There's the wind light, that glorious wind light. And hold on. Producer Chris, nicely done, man. Nicely done. Producer Chris getting it in for the win once again. Right off in honor of El Mero Mero. Awesome. Uh, hey, guys, girls, we had a great week this week. We talked about the U.S. Nationals coming up and hopefully a live show. We got down with the latest race results and we had my man Craig Sullivan, Pro Mod driver and owner of El Mero Mero on. If you have comments, questions, or curse words, you know there are three ways to get at me. You can hit the Facebook page using Messenger. 
you can uh, see me screaming at the Tesla uh, factory and you can use the email fastbrackets at outlook.com. So guys, girls, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. Today's episode was brought to you by AFCO Racing Products. For over three decades, AFCO Racing Products has focused on one goal, deliver high-quality racing products to those who compete to win. In drag racing, you only get one chance to get it right. Choosing quality components from the start leads to round wins and ultimately leads to championships. At AFCO Racing Products, they engineer manufacture and produce four-way shocks, struts, and double adjustable shocks complemented by a complete lineup of springs to support the entire range of drag racing competitors. If you are bracket racing today and future plans include top dragster or top sportsman, they have the correct shock package for you at every stage of your racing career. For tech support, quality and superior on-track performance, Think AFCO Racing Products. This weekend was uh, a whole lot of fun watching Craig uh, pull off the win, the debut win with El Mero Mero. That was an awesome ride. Man, how about that? Like the guy, uh, not only does he have the creativity to put that thing together, right, put the team together that can make it work, then has the issue, um, rebuilds it essentially, then hauls it up there, um, and then in, in the first weekend out with that thing wins. I mean, that's that's it's storybook is what it is. Um, you know, I I joked with him. I said, well, you should sell that thing. You can't get any better than what you just did. But uh, you know, I mean, honestly, he did a phenomenal job all weekend. I mean, and you watched it. I did, and man, he drove that car. There is no doubt about it that there was a driver behind the wheel. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. I was fearful of the wrap uh, on that one pass, but my man pulled it back and got it done.